0: Good morning once again. Current time live from the downtown KOPN studios is 9 a.m. on the nose on this Monday, the 1st of March. Well, the calendar has turned over yet again. And we are pleased that you're with us on this fine semi-spring morning to join us for another live edition of our locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri. It is Community Pulse. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. The episodes are then immediately backlogged, archived that is, to our website along with all of our programs, kopn.org, kopn.org. You can catch us uh, posting the uh, program on Facebook later in the day along with links, relevant links to the day's discussion, and you can check out the entire catalog on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. On today's program, might be a very good day to uh, hang around and wait for the links because we're going to be discussing two things. Number one, as everyone already knows, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been approved. This is a one-dose vaccine, and that, of course, is the big news emerging from the pandemic from the weekend. And we also have just a, a lovely resource from the New England Journal of Medicine, FAQs about various coronavirus Coronavirus vaccines. So, joining us, as always on a Monday, is local family physician and host of Your Health Matters, Dr. Elizabeth Ollerman, who has been with us for one year discussing the pandemic as a KOPN volunteer. How are you feeling this morning, Dr. Ollerman? Well,
1: this is a really—I'm feeling great. You know the the. The milder weather is helping, but also March the 1st is a really um, important day for me. This is the birthday of my mother, who has who uh, is just turning 93 years old and still living independently. So um, I'm just really happy that she exists and that I exist. So this is a day I celebrate her and just the existence of me and my siblings. So it's an exciting day for me. And I'm really, you know, I think that not just more sunshine, but... Um, seeing more light in this uh, difficult pandemic we've been through is really helpful. Um, having cases either declining or they've been a little stable. Uh, we've plateaued a little bit in our decline over the last week or so, which is a little concerning. But um, I'm still... Uh, and, and honestly, we are um, have plateaued out at a number that was shocking and horrifying to us in October when we first got to this number. You know, so in the United States, we're between 70 and 80,000 new cases every day. And we're continuing to have um, uh, an unacceptable number of deaths every day. But it, given that it was less than it was before, I am still willing to um, count that good news. Um so in Missouri, we are seeing declining cases again. There seems to be a widening gap between what's on the state dashboard and that's what gets reported to national sources like the New York Times, which I follow, and what Matthew Holloway reports on his, um, on his uh, Facebook page um, every day. And all of his data, it's not like he has some inside track, all of his data is publicly reported data And um, jurisdictions, counties and cities and other uh, places that report their cases, fewer of them are reporting on a daily basis. Um, And so the numbers are probably less reliable than they were in some ways. And yet we still see a trend down, which is um, reassuring. And I am fully supportive of health departments using their limited resources to help us get vaccinated and to perhaps do less of the reporting of data to the state um, The um, Missouri uh sewer shed surveillance data where um, a group of researchers from let's see if you can get this right the University of Missouri uh, the Department of Natural Resources and the Department of Health and Social Services of Senior Services is um, is noticing they they they're counting the amount of uh, viral viral RNA copies in our um, collective uh, stools, our wastewater, um, and that has been—they've been able to correlate that uh, fairly well with the amount of um, of disease activity in the communities um, that uh, whose whose wastewater is treated at those plants. Um, and so, their last data was from a week ago, the 21st and it is showing um, a decline across the state. Uh, fewer and fewer places are seeing increases in cases. And so all of that is, is reassuring. Um, we do have you know, these variants. Now there are apparently two new variants um, in California, which I, I think I've been hearing that, but I haven't really focused on it. So I don't, I, it was kind of news this morning Uh, When I was able to hear somebody very clearly say there are two new variants, both of them first identified in California, and I think that's all I know um, about that. Um, But what we know is that when there's a lot of reproduction of any um, organism, there will be more genetic variation, and that um, then selection, the forces of natural selection will act on those, and so when there's a wide variation, there can be Um, a selection for, in this case, viruses that spread more easily. And, um, you know, over time, generally what happens is viruses become less fatal, but that may, that's not necessarily a guarantee that it's a smooth ride into that. So we are likely moving into a time where the, the precautions we have taken before that really reduced spread may not be as effective, and so we may see more widespread with the same amount of of restrictions or precautions. And at the same time, because the case numbers are coming down, um, uh, decision makers, policymakers are, for very understandable reasons, beginning to loosen the restrictions. And the message to the public is maybe we're done with this. And I want to just be clear, we're probably not done with it. It's a reasonable time. For people to, if there's something that needs to be done, um, this is it would be a good time to do it. Uh, but I don't think it's time to start to have um, gatherings the way we have in the past, and do many other things that we have done in the past. So we need to be mindful and careful moving forward. So, um, and in Boone County, you know, it's just been a long time since I reported this. On Friday, we had 11 cases. Our, you know, our average five day average case. Number is you know hovering around twenty now. Again, this bothered us a lot when we were moving up in that way in the fall, in the late, in the August, and then again in October. Um, and I, but I, I still celebrate that we're that that number is lower than it has been. Our hospitals are operating in the green. So I have told my husband that he can use the chainsaw again. So because if he becomes injured. I hope that he would not become injured. But if he came injured, um, we could expect that we would not be um, asking a already totally burdened system to to use its resources to help him as well. Um, and I was, and let's see. And our the the positivity rate. So the number, uh, the percentage of the tests that we do that are positive for COVID nineteen. Are also declining and are below 20 for a long time for the first time in a long time. So, we have um, a lot of of good news. Um, there's some concerning stuff with the variants and uh, the leveling off of cases, um, and we are not seeing the declines in deaths that I had uh, I would have expected with the decreases in cases, and that is mystifying me a fair amount. Um, and we have a new vaccine. So we have, up until Friday, we had two vaccines in the United States that had received emergency use authorization from the Food and Drug Administration. And um, this is not the same as they've actually been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. And there are a few things that would need to be done to get full approval And um, I don't know the whole list of them. But one of them is to really do some studies about shelf life, which I think are not really relevant right now in a time when we are trying to inject them just absolutely as fast as we can, manufacture them, deliver them, inventory them, and, you know, get them into arms. So I think shelf life is really not that much of an issue right now. And I think that there would be a need to do longer-term safety studies and maybe some um, mod, modifications and trials of comparing one dose, uh, what, the amounts of dosages. Um, and usually that process takes uh, takes years. Um, but I have heard some people, and, and these are people who are vaccine enthusiasts, not vaccine skeptics, say that question why we're doing another vaccine under the emergency use authorization, since we already have two vaccines that are available and uh, you know a, a legitimate um, uh, path forward to vaccinating most of the United States with those two vaccines, and that the, the question, the need for to to approve another vaccine under emergency use authorization. I'll be very interested to see whether those voices get louder and whether uh, say the AstraZeneca vaccine that was developed with Oxford University and. I can't remember. I think there's another one on the horizon, but I don't remember which one it is. Whether those will also get emergency use authorization, but in any event, uh, the Johnson and Johnson, Janssen uh, vaccine has been um, granted emergency use authorization. Um, so it's pretty interesting that you know it's again it's similar to the way things happen for the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna. There's a a committee that meets, and this time the committee um, was unanimous. Uh, They have not been unanimous before. There was one abstention for the Moderna vaccine and – oh, I'm probably mixing them up. The two mRNA vaccines that came out very quickly in December, very close to each other in December, one of them, there was one abstention, and the other one, there was actually two or three abstentions. And um, it had to do uh, – so it's interesting that this one is unanimous. I think it's because it's older technology. So the, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is um, different than the messenger RNA vaccine in that it actually uses a virus. It does not, the virus is not capable of replicating. It is a um, attenuated, That's um, not even attenuated, it is a inactivated um Adenovirus um, and the adenoviruses are viruses that cause uh, common cold um, and other mild illnesses. And this, uh, they modified the uh, the RNA, the genetic material in this virus, to do two things. One is to keep the virus, that virus, from being able to replicate itself, and then to also include the um, genetic information for the spike protein on the. Uh, coronavirus vaccine the virus um, so that way the virus uh, the what the particles that are injected these viral particles that are injected then infect cells um, and i'm not sure the word is infect but they enter the cells the their genetic material is is unfurled and coded and produce a protein that um, we want people to develop an antibody to Um, so there are some advantages because it is this kind of older technology. It can be stored in a regular refrigerator for several, for many weeks. And for long-term storage, it can be stored in a regular refrigerator. So we don't need these ultra cold, um, temperatures for transport and storage. It is a single dose vaccine. You, you go in, you get your one dose, now you're done. So we expect the, um, the protection to happen in a few weeks after that. Um, but you don't have to go back and get a second vaccine. Best I can tell, there are similar side effects, and I am not been able to see anything that looks at the com- comparison between the severity of the side effects. Some people, um, and it may be people who've had COVID-19 disease, have had a pretty um, uh, strong response to the messenger RNA vaccines that we've already got out. So I am hoping we will find. A vaccine that's more un- universally tolerated and does not require very many people to miss a day of work. I think that that's um, a barrier to vaccination. I don't. I do not know if this one is easier to tolerate. Um, and then there's a lot of talk about efficacy, and so I want to break down, Peter, these sort of what these efficacy numbers mean. And I think sometimes it means like, they think that, okay, well, if it's an 85% effective vaccine, then that means that I am 85% sure that I will not get this disease. And that is not what it means. Okay. What it means is that they look at um, two groups of people. So they give one group of people the activated the active vaccine, and the other group of people get an injection, but it is not. It's salt water or some inactive substance and then they watch those groups as they move about their lives we are not at, we are not deliberately infecting anybody but we are just seeing who gets infected and who doesn't and actually we're looking at who gets symptomatic so in none of these these studies that I'm aware of are we actually routinely swabbing people's noses to see if they get asymptomatic infection and I wish I knew why they were doing that these are smart people I'm sure they've got a reason But it's frustrating to me that we don't get that answer. Um, And so then we compare the groups of people. So if in one group of 15,000 people, um, you know, if the vaccinated group um, gets, say, 30 30 people get symptomatic infection and the unvaccinated people, 60 people, that's a 50% efficacy rate. Now, it's not that 50% of people got the virus. That, I, have I explained that in a way that's understand, understandable?
0: Um, yeah, well, perhaps perhaps repeat. So <clears throat> if we have a, a control group, uh, and yeah. you're right, I, I would, yeah, for the speaking for the layman, I would appreciate it if you, if you went through that just, uh, just uh, one more yeah, time. So <laughs> if,
1: yeah, so if the control group that got the inactive substance, if sixty, people got sick, Mm-hmm. And in the vaccine group, only 30 got sick. Well, that's twice as that's only half as many. So that's a 50% effective vaccine. I see. And if if only, you know, if only 10% as many people, now it's a 90% effective vaccine. <clears throat> so what we know, what this tells us is that you have to take into account the circumstances and the context during which these vaccines are studied. So a vaccine as being, so these vaccines can really only be well studied when we have widespread transmission of the disease and in places where we have widespread transmission of the disease. It it makes it difficult to develop new vaccines if um, the disease is uncommon because we can't get these real world experiences. So for example, it's very difficult to create a new vaccine for polio now because The polio is very, very rare. So, uh, and we had difficulty, you know, it it has um, public health measures have limited our ability to develop an Ebola vaccine because we, uh, for a great reason, we are trying the best we can to shut down transmission. And um, now you can't study the vaccine because nobody's getting the disease. So we are... So the the Johnson and Johnson vaccine has been studied during the fall and winter of this year, when there were more variants circulating. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were studied in the spring and summer, when, as far as we know, there were very few variants traveling around. So we, it's you know, they're studied during different times. So this is, I'm going to make a sports analogy, which is a dangerous thing for me to do because I don't follow sports. But it's like saying that to trying to decide which team is better when they've never played each other on the same field. So these these the vaccines that we've already had, the Moderna and the, the Pfizer, have never been tested head to head. We haven't done any head to head testing with any of these vaccines. So they just we just haven't compared them one to another. The other is that most of these numbers that get reported first is the amount of of decrease in incidence of the disease. So the amount of protection that you get for mild to moderate disease. And while I think n- none of us want to be infected with this virus, well, maybe some people do. I do not, and many people I talk to do not. The people who want the vaccine are hoping to not get infected with the virus. I mean, most of us just really don't want to get the severe disease. So these the all of these numbers, the, all of the vaccines are way more effective in preventing things like hospitalization and ventilation and death. The problem is those don't get reported as much because those numbers are smaller and so they may not be as statistically significant. But of interest is in this study of 40,000 people who took the Johnson and Johnson, 40,000 people, half of whom took the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. In the vaccinated people after the two or three weeks that it took for the vaccine to take effect, there were zero deaths in the vaccinated group, zero deaths. There were, I think, five or six deaths in the unvaccinated group. And so that number is too small for people to say we had 100% effectiveness, but I'm going to say it anyway. All of these vaccines appear to be very close to 100% effective in preventing death.
0: That is something you may want to repeat.
1: <laughs> so it's – and I – my, the last time I read the data has been a while, so if someone knows that this isn't correct anymore, please please let me know. But so far in the randomized controlled trials of I think all four of the vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson, there were no deaths in the vaccinated group after we would have expected immunity to have taken effect. So they are all of them Appear to be a hundred percent effective in preventing death from COVID nineteen disease.
0: I think if if I um, if I may take a stab at summarizing your message, I mean first and foremost we hear about these variants all of the time variants variants variants. Yes. This is this is natural. Right. This is what a virus does. Um, it replicates, and there are genetic mutations. And as we were talking about a couple of weeks ago on the show, natural selection will tend to favor. Uh, variants that are more contagious, and perhaps less deadly. And as we look right. at the efficacy numbers here, it's not just simply a matter of taking a look at the percentages, because a new vaccine may be 66% effective against the current range of variants that are out there, uh, but they are still 100% effective in protecting their hosts from severe disease, which will uh, put their lives at risk so the main message yeah and correct me if i'm wrong is that we need to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about variants Um, we're talking about uh, a a novel virus that has undergone genetic mutations in the past uh, what has it been now uh, 15 months or so Um, so these uh, genetic mutations are inevitable but they're also given the timetable uh, not necessarily that vir- uh, virulent. I mean, they're, they're, <clears throat> they're small mutations. They don't make for necessarily a more deadly virus. They make for one that's more contagious. They make for one that may be able to skirt its way around some of the earlier vaccines that we had. But they are still recommended. And to beat home a message that um, we talk about every week, first vaccine that you're offered, pretty good idea to consider taking it.
1: Well, I, I am hearing more and more people asking and either online or to me individually. Let's see, I want to correct one thing you said. It's, I don't think that these vaccines are 100 percent effective at preventing severe disease. So there have been people in the vaccinated groups who have been hospitalized. And I think a couple that may have even been on a ventilator. Thank you. But way, they're way less. And their protectiveness. So if it's, you know, if they're 66 percent effective at preventing disease, as any symptomatic disease then they're usually another 10 to 15 20 percent more effective at preventing severe disease which is disease that requires hospitalization
0: thank you for that uh, qualifier obviously yeah. we can't we but, can't get there's it, no 100 percent zero risk anything in this
1: <laughs> no and i think over time i feel like it's inevitable that those zero numbers are going to change like once we have millions of people vaccinated just the statistics are against us so that there will very soon be reports of people who got the vaccine just like they were supposed to got sick from COVID 19 and died from it i'm not i don't want to curse people but i just expect that number to that well that, to well,
0: happen. that is life i mean um there yeah. is no 100 percent zero risk anything in life uh we, right. yeah.
1: so but but the these vaccines are really all of them are very effective at preventing um severe disease and death So I think, and and we don't know yet, like, you know, I spent some time thinking, well, do I want to wait and, you know, dance around with this? I'm in the first tier. I could get vaccinated now. Do I want to wait for a vaccine that, you know, blah, blah, blah? And I thought, man, it's going to be three or four years before I have all the data that I want, like which ones are best tolerated and which ones last longer and which ones are effective for the variant that shows up next year and... You know I can't know that and so it was just much easier for me intellectually to say well I what I know is that there's a significant risk in waiting Indeed. that that when I wait that means I there's more days or weeks or months for me to potentially get infected
0: well there's there also seems to be a serious intellectual risk in not understanding what we mean by these variants. I mean, we're not talking, you know, we've brought this up before a few weeks ago that you know when one talks about a variant or a mutation i mean there's immediately these connotations of some bad hollywood screenplay <laughs> <laughs> a that new strain yeah. that's going to come and you know that's that's now uh, uh, airborne or so you know now more <laughs> now can be transmitted in a different way and it's going to kill everyone and the scientists or this is nothing close to that in in the real world <laughs>
1: (laughs) Right. We just need to realize that this the same mutation, genetic variation, which gets called uh, mutation or variant, is the same thing we capitalize on to make sweet peas that are sweeter or um, corn that's more drought tolerant or, you know, a horse that can run faster. Um, So, you know, this is the um, genetic variation that is responsible for the existence of life. Um, so we're you know need, need, need to, that needs to be taken in context. And thanks for reminding me that when I talk about mutation that that has this other um, social connotation that I that I, doesn't come up front in my mind. Of course, I'm aware of it. but um yeah, so I think we so the down so there's some downsides of the uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccine one is that apparently they had promised more vaccine than they actually have. So they've got, I can't remember. Do you remember 40 million doses or something that they're ready to ship out now um, when they were, um, had promised, uh, I think, 300, uh, 100 million? I can't remember. Uh, and I will let other people who are policymakers and care about and can, can are passionate about that, make comments about that. I just think that um, having more doses of something that's willing to be, sh- that could potentially be shipped out the, uh, be, the numbers is exciting. Right.
0: Yeah, it's uh, 20 million by the end of March and uh, 100 million by the end of June. Um, And this this actually mirrors the numbers that we we have for the first two vaccines as well. So probably uh, in the near future, we'll be talking about uh, serious vaccine surpluses uh, by the end of April, May, June, because, I mean, there's there's just got the...
1: May it be so, Peter. Yes, and that brings us back to the social justice issues that we talked about last week. That, you know, what about countries that have ordered more vaccine than they can actually inject into their um, their people? And what are the plans for having that be more fairly distributed, where obviously it already isn't being fairly distributed? You know, there are countries in Africa that are still waiting to inject their first um, their first uh, vaccine. So
0: yeah. I, I wanted to um, <clears throat> we only have a couple minutes left since the yeah. topic is vaccines. um what might uh, might you have some concrete uh, recommendations for uh, individual legwork that people can do on a local basis? Because. Oh, great Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, there's the, the thing is, is that we may be dealing with oversupply in certain communities now. Communities have received vaccines. People have refused the shot. Communities need arms to stick them into. Might, might you have some concrete recommendations there?
1: Yeah. So I think if you are if you're in the current tier um, that's being vaccinated and you would like a vaccine that, it, and if you signed up and you're waiting for a call and you're eager for your vaccine, I think that's a, an ineffective strategy. So current, so being proactive and going and calling about is probably effective. I would start online. Um, and I just know that uh, Hy-Vee and Walmart pharmacies now have the vaccine and some of the pharmacies do as well. And they should be, they should list that prominently on their website. And there are, um, And and I would encourage you to look for um, – so you can sign up for actual appointments for a vaccine if you are in the current tier. And you could apparently – so there's a Facebook page, and I'm trying to remember what it is, but we can put it in the – a link in the show notes about um, where people are helping each other get these vaccines. And they're recommending that you um, look in whatever circumference you could easily drive – and um, show up and get an appointment there. Uh, Fitzgibbons Hospital is doing um, uh, vaccination uh, fairs, you know, they're doing um, events and they are doing some um, uh, walk-in. So you don't absolutely have to have an, an, uh, an appointment, you do need to be in the current tier um, and so I think it's like the last bit of the morning and the last bit of the evening. I think it's like ten to eleven in the morning and four to five in the evening. Um, they'll do walk-ins, and then at the end of the day, they will they will vaccinate um, if they have leftover doses that they you know can't be stored. They will vaccinate anyone who who is present. I I am hearing that often the private pharmacies, the Hy-Vee's, and the Walmart's. Um, often have doses at the end of the day as well. And so you could call at the end of the day to see if you could get a vaccine, even if you are not in the current tier. The state says that March 15th, which is just two weeks, they'll be opening up the next phase of vaccination, which would include more essential workers, including school teachers. And so I would expect that um, that is going to... We will then have a temporary time when when, uh, appointments are at shortage. Um, MU is also doing vaccinations at um, Faroe Field, I think. And um, there may be vaccines available at the end of the day. If you notice, if you get online and find a place where people are doing like a community vaccination um, effort, there are often vaccines at the end of the day. And if you are willing to spend your time doing that you might get a vaccine even if you're not in the current
0: that, yeah that, that requires a lot of personal luck, or i mean the thought of that there are being vaccines that can't be stored being being pitched is, how, how does that make you right. feel dr Holman? <laughs>
1: oh yeah it makes me feel I, it makes me feel excited that the people who are really willing to go are getting vaccines, and and also a little bit Said that it's another place where privilege is um, active in our culture, and yet I'm not sure how to. I we're not going to be able to purge that from vaccine distribution if we if it's still so active in our culture. So, um, yeah. So, so there are ways to get vaccinated if you are if you qualify or you know somebody who does, and you um, are confused. Please reach out to me. You can call my office four four three seven zero seven zero. You can reach out to Jenny uh, Chandwick. She's very motivated to help people who otherwise might have face barriers to get vaccines, especially if they are in the current tier.
0: Awesome. Well, all that information, thank you as always, Dr. Allman for all of the hard You're work. You're welcome. We're coming we up on pleasure. our one year anniversary, believe it or not, of all of this. <laughs> So thank you very much, as always, Dr. Alleman. And um, she gave a lot of information there at the end of the program. If you happen to miss it, no worries. The program, our entire program is available, archived on the KOPN website now, immediately kopn.org. We also repost on Facebook later in the day, and you can find us on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Wow! What another great, informative uh, conversation. Uh, speaking of which, the links uh, for the day's discussion will be posted on the Facebook profile. But for those who don't have Facebook, um, we were discussing a uh, article on the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. You can find that on FactCheck.org. And then there is the uh, FAQs from the New England Journal of Medicine. We didn't get that, into that into uh, in the great de- detail. Pardon me. But you can find it on the New England Journal of Medicine's website. All you have to do is go to COVID Vaccines FAQs. As always, it was a pleasure to speak with you today again, uh, Columbia. And the message from your friends and neighbors over here at your local community radio station is, please stay safe and stay informed. We'll be speaking with you again live on Wednesday.